What's up, fellow kids? I'm Jackson McMurray. And I'm Madeline McMurray. And this is No Nerds Allowed. And there are no nerds allowed. That's right. And none of us are cops. <laughs> no cops here. Cops. We have to tell you if we're cops, otherwise it's entrapment. I can't stress how much we're not cops. <laughs> So hey, do you wanna? I'm gonna paint you a word picture real quick. Okay. Um, about paint my me a tapestry. Yeah, for my setup for recording today. Yes. Um, actually, some backstory first. Okay. Uh, over spring break, my apartment was refurnished with new floors and countertops. Great. Uh, just because that's they're doing it to the whole apartment complex and they're raising my rent fifty dollars a month next year because of it. But whatever. I didn't ask <laughs> for this, but it's fine. Um. But when they were doing that, uh, they somehow messed up our electricity, so I have no power in only my room. (laughs) Everywhere else in the apartment has power, except for me. (laughs) And my two roommates are still on spring break. I'm the only person in the apartment. In the only room with no power. Just steal their rooms. (laughs) And I can't record in the front room. Yeah. Because we just got new hardwood floors in there, and it's echoey and loud as shit, because we don't have any rugs or anything yet. Um, So what I've got right now (laughs) is I've got uh, my laptop sitting on the floor near my door. Yes. With the charger snaking out of the door into an outlet in the front room where one of the outlets works. Mm-hmm. I've got Bluetooth headphones plugged in and my long XLR cable running from my computer to my microphone on my desk. <laughs> wow. I'm so, so sorry. So how was your spring break? <laughs> I've just started. Uh, me and my friends were gonna play D&D tomorrow, and I'm DMing it, and I'm gonna kill it. And I'm recording in your room, because you don't have anything on your desk, and I have lots of stuff on my desk. And you don't live here anymore, so... True. your Your desk is mine. <laughs> Except your chair that's by your desk is the most rickety chair on the planet. And when oh, we yeah, record true. our podcast, I'm like, well, I guess I can't move or lean back. <laughs> Oh, you want to know something else that the people who installed our floors did? What? They wheeled our big TV. It's like on wheels so we can move it around. Yeah. They wheeled it into my roommate's vacant room and then locked it in there. (laughs) So I do not have access to it until my roommate comes back on Tuesday. (laughs) Do you not have a key to his room? I, no, I do not. Why would I have that? Well, I, it's like, I guess, is it like a bunch of apartments connected to one room? I guess I just thought you lived in like an apartment with four bedrooms. Yeah, I do. Every door has its own lock that oh, gotcha. we all have our own keys for. Because it's it. set up for college people, probably. Exactly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, Adeline, what movie did we watch today? I don't know. What movie did we watch today, Jackson? You picked this movie. Oh, uh, sure, I did pick this movie. Uh, yeah. Today we watched um, 
Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Uh, this Ralph is, I think, destroys his livelihood. <laughs> this is the first time we've, like, followed up on a series, right? We've done, like, a movie and then yeah. done a sequel. Um, because Wreck-It Ralph was our first episode, and Ralph Breaks the Internet uh, just came out on DVD a little while ago, so I wanted to dig into it. Plus, well, it- it's a wild movie, and I really wanted to talk about it. It's a really weird movie. Yes, it's, it's a really weird movie. I've been thinking about it, and this movie... <laughs> no, this movie doesn't have any kind of villain. Which usually no. I really like, because sometimes villains are written poorly. But I feel like this movie really would have been better if it had a villain in it. Yeah, no, I think that Disney lately has been working really hard at telling more of those stories. Yeah. Um, I think this movie plays out a little bit similarly to Ant-Man and the Wasp did. Um, what was the sentence I just said? Let me try that again. Uh, <laughs> what did I, think, I mean by that? I think this movie and Ant-Man and the Wasp have some similarities in the sense yeah. that they're both really driven to like tell a non-traditional story for the genre in the sense that it doesn't have like one person who's a bad guy, you know? Yeah. And they both don't super pull it off but they try <laughs> and that's what's important yeah um so yeah i mean there's i the first time i saw this movie i felt i saw it in theaters and i felt like i was just losing my mind yeah there's something weird happened to you the first time you watched this movie <laughs> because you would not stop telling people how much it affected you and watching <laughs> this with you now i don't know like it's weird don't get me wrong, is weird, but you were, like, losing your mind. Yeah. Well, um, I think I was able to appreciate it more on a second viewing, because I, like, sort of knew what I was in for a little bit more. Yeah. The first time I saw it in theaters, like, not seeing any reviews or anything for it, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what? <laughs> how, is this, how is this what they actually made? Um, but now that I was sort of indoctrinated in a certain yeah, way like you already knew what it was what it was going to be like, I felt like I could slow down and think about everything as it happened a little bit more <laughs> clearer. Um, okay, so the first thing that I have written down in my notes. Oh, mm-hmm. and by the way, this episode, I'm going to do my best to try and describe the events of the movie as we sort of work our way through it. Uh, just because that's the way that another podcast I very much like, The Flophouse, does it. Um, and it makes it so that if you haven't seen the movie, you can still follow, follow along. along and enjoy this podcast without being just totally lost with us jumping around to random points in a movie. I was going to be like, who watches the thing about a movie that they haven't seen? But that's all that mom does all day. Is she yeah, watches exactly. podcasts about movies she hasn't seen. Yeah, precisely. So this is an effort to make it more accessible. Wow. You know, build, make it a little more clickable. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> So, uh, this movie opens with, uh, Ralph and Vanellope just chilling out. After the events of the first movie, they're good friends and they hang out in the arcade at night all the time because video games don't sleep, I guess, so whenever they're not working, they just chill out and hang out with each other. And this scene has no momentum. No, not at all. No, you um, open it up, and it's just like, hey, what's up, I'm Ralph. And she's like, hey, what's up, I'm Penelope. And they run around for a little bit, and you're like, what are we doing? 
<laughs> and they also what are we doing? Like they go so far out of their way to like explicitly recap the first movie yeah. in a way that like was not necessary at all. They're like, "Oh, remember when I was just a villain in a video game, but then I learned how to accept myself and made friends with Felix?" And it's like, "Yep." Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ralph from Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> And, like, I don't know, and this is sort of a lazy and vague criticism, and I understand that, but I don't have any better way to articulate this. Just that the dialogue doesn't feel as good as it did in the first movie. It gets better as that scene goes along. At the very beginning, it's rough, and they're just kind of, like, talking about things that aren't relevant, and it's kind of stiff. But by the end of that scene, they've got their chemistry kind of back, and the scene is more comfortable, and it feels like right. we're, like, doing something. So it yeah. definitely gets better as you go through the scene, but that beginning is real rough, where it's like, hello, my <laughs> friend Vanellope, we are friends. <laughs> um, and so during this conversation, we learn that uh, Vanellope is very bored playing Just Sugar Rush all the time, and she wants something new. Whereas Ralph, on the other hand, is totally fine just doing his thing forever, and he doesn't see any problem with his life the way it is right now. Um, and, yep. uh, spoiler alert, that comes back a lot in this movie. Oh, That's oh the whole my, deal of whoa. this movie. Um, it's one of those things that, like, I always think of that bit in Oh, Hello, where John Mulaney's like, What are we, two different characters? <laughs> no, what does he say? It's like, oh, man, these are conflicting viewpoints or something (laughs) to that effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, So what Ralph does in response to this is he uh, goes into Sugar Rush and builds his own special track, sort of, like adjacent to the regular track. Punches a circle in the ground and is like, I'm in a track. To be (laughs) fair, he does do that in the OG movie. He does just punch a track out. So right. we've established that this is a superpower he <laughs> has, I guess. within his skill set. Yeah, he can make a, a go-kart race if he wants to. <laughs> um, but, like, the biggest thing that, like, took me out of this movie so bad is, like... He needs to be in his game. Yeah, he needs to be in his game. He spends all day so in much. Sugar Rush. Sonic told you if you leave your game, <laughs> you die in real life, and you keep going into other people's games, especially... The whole thing is that we've had to do everything at night when the arcade is closed for, like, forever because the kids will see you and think the game is broken. But in this movie, they just don't care. They're in the internet for, like, a month for so (laughs) long. And they're like, no one cares, I guess. Right. And, no, like, the conflict of the first movie is entirely built around the fact that Ralph leaves his game. And he's not in his game, and everyone notices, and they almost – he almost gets shut down. And that happens right at the beginning of this movie – and it's not even a thing. It's not a plot point. And then um, they just it's and Felix isn't like, "Hey, what the fuck, Ralph?" It's like not even it's not even anything. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they just like <laughs> broke everything that they established. So, uh from there, while um a a hapless child is playing the the Sugar Rush machine, um Vanellope uh discovers this new track and wrestles control away from the player. Which she can do, apparently. Yeah, don't don't worry about it. Um, and goes on this track all by herself, and uh, like is totally controlling herself, and the the little girl has no control over her, I guess. And as the little girl is trying to like wrestle the steering wheel for, excuse me, wrestle the steering wheel for control, she breaks the whole damn thing off, 
and it's yep. like, oh no, Mr. Litwack, your machines broke. Somebody broke this. <laughs> Someone broke. Um, <laughs> I'm just holding it. I found it. I found this on the ground. But yeah, and it's like all of the events of the first half of this movie seem like the characters did not learn jack shit from the first movie. Oh, they most definitely did not. Like, everything about the first movie is like, you've got to make sure that nothing seems wrong so the players don't complain. But this movie, it's like, Ralph is just like, I'm going to skip my game today. Evanelope's like, oh shit, check that out. I'm going to not do what the player tells me and just do my own thing. It's like, are you new here? Like, Yeah. Well, they also... (laughs) The fact that Ralph makes a new track for her, and it's like, if he had done this after hours when they're just hanging out, like, that would be awesome. And that, right. well, we also wouldn't have a plot, but that would be a good solution. But, what <laughs> <Right. laughs> he does is he fundamentally changes her game. That's gonna be there forever now. I don't know <laughs> if you're allowed to do that. <laughs> Can you just do that? Like, I don't know. Well, I guess at the end of Wreck-It Ralph, they did add all the Qbert characters into Fix-It Felix Jr., so I don't know. Right. I, they're, they're, the only <laughs> rule is that there are no rules, apparently. Yeah. Presumably, this movie takes place in a world where sometimes Qbert just shows up in your game and you're cool with it. I mean, yeah, well, sometimes Wreck-It Ralph just shows up all over the internet and people are like, alright. <laughs> well, um, sometimes YouTube makes a video and just, like, <laughs> uploads it. And it's a lot, and they all have Wreck-It Ralph in it, and the world just accepts it. <laughs> okay, um, but in the meantime, um, she shows, the girl who broke uh, Sugar Rush shows Mr. Litwack, the arcade owner, the steering wheel, and is like, someone broke this. He's like, oh, wow, I don't know uh, what we're going to do, and all the kids who are all on their phones. Kids are always on their phones these days. Have you noticed that? Um and all the kids, like, find that steering wheel piece on eBay, like, immediately. They're like, oh, you just got to buy a new one on eBay, but it's very expensive. So the guy's like, no, I think we've just got to shut down Sugar Rush forever, killing hundreds of innocents. Okay. With one so, cruel swipe. Yes, several Adelaide. things. One, I, love, I always love the design of humans in Wreck-It Ralph. I don't know. Like, they do such a good job of designing humans in such, like, a relatable way. I talked about this a lot in the first one, but, like, the video, the girls playing the video game in this one are just as cute and fun in right. their designs. Uh, second of all, I actually really like that scene when all the kids pull out their phones because I thought it was going to be a snot-nosed, kids are always on their phones, what the fuck? But it was like they actually, <laughs> like pull out their phones and find a solution and they're like here is the solution and he's like oh no, yeah. thank you like it's actually, actually a really good helpful. way to paint that yeah yeah but um, also that steering wheel was only two hundred dollars if i remember correctly <laughs> yeah and he's like man if i buy that i'm gonna go bankrupt <laughs> and i'm like how much does rent cost on this store <laughs> That yeah, you say. can't spend $200 without going out of business, but are also still in business. If I remember correctly, he says, that's more than this game makes in a year. Which, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, how, did, how, how are, are you, you still, still open, open? Yeah. if your most popular <laughs> game doesn't bring in $200 in a year? Exactly. In a calendar yeah. year? So, uh, in the meantime... 
Uh, Mr. Litwack also sets up uh, some Wi-Fi for the shop, and he plugs in his modem on his old Apple computer, which I think is a fun little touch. It is a very fun touch. But then um, Sonic, our yeah. good exposition machine friend, goes, Well, Ralph, <laughs> this is the Wi-Fi. It has the Internet on it. And, and Sonic like that- shouldn't know anything about the Internet. If there's any character <laughs> on the planet that shouldn't be allowed to have Internet access, it's Sonic. <laughs> yeah, and I like that it's almost like... A tradition in these movies now to just have Sonic blast <laughs> exposition at you at one Which point I'm or another. Totally fine with. Here's the thing about that though is that it's not really exposition because it's stuff that the entire audience already knows. Yeah, it's just exposition to Ralph. It's just like he just says like, "Here's what the internet is. Have you heard of it?" And Ralph was like, "No," and the entire audience is like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, move, move on. on." Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Sonic. Um, I the only good part about that is later when they actually get into the modem before he turns it down and Wrecker Ralph is like, man, Sonic doesn't know anything about the internet. <laughs> that was really good. I forgot. Yeah, that was very funny. Okay. Um, but since they had to close down Sugar Rush, all of the citizens of Sugar Rush are are, are gameless. They're a homeless shanty town in the hub. Um, and Fix It Felix and Calhoun decide that they're going to take in all the kids and raise them as their own. Which would be such a fun subplot if they actually let it be a subplot. We never cut back to them in the middle of the story. (laughs) No, not once. And there were several times where I was kind of like, hey, I wish we would cut to something else for just like a minute, (laughs) just real quick. And they spend so much time setting up the idea of them, like, raising these kids. Like, yeah. literally, they spend, like, more than ten minutes doing absolutely nothing other than, like, establishing to the audience that this is what's happening. And it does yeah. not pay off at all at any point in the movie. Yeah. I, like, it's... And they bring... And they come back to it at the end, and that's fine. But, like, if you just had, like, literally one scene where you cut back to them, and it's it being really bad, or it be, or them figuring it out, or whatever, like, anything... Anything, do anything, yeah. <laughs> and it would have been great. Um, and so there's that scene in the bar where Ralph is like, "I'm really bummed out because Sugar Rush is closing," and Felix yeah. is like, "Yeah, me too. Let's get hammered." Um, because he's fixing Felix and he has a yeah. hammer. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. Uh huh. That whole scene feels like they're setting it up for Felix to go with him. I know, and then he's but literally like, I'll hold down the fort for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. so stupid. Especially because Fix of Felix is like, I don't want to be around these kids. Yeah. Because they're stressing me has out. more motivation to be in the internet than Ralph does I in know. this story. Well, like, literally, it could have been, that could have been a part of the kids subplot where Calhoun is left with the kids and she's like, uh, hey, Felix, what the fuck? You shouldn't have left me with the kids. <laughs> like, that would have been, like, a fun subplot. It would have right. put any tension in their relationship, would have yep. included them at all. Felix should have come, because Felix is hilarious, and I love him. Yeah, that's, the, that's like, the best part of the first movie. Is Felix and Ralph interacting. It's, like, that's yeah, the best part. Just, like, it's the worst. Like, how do you write that? How do you write that and put it yeah, in a movie? Where they, like, figure out together to go to the internet, <laughs> and fix it. Felix is like, you should go do that. I will stay here with the children that I don't want to be around right now. It's like, yeah, they're just like, you know what would work is if we went into the internet and fixed everything okay see ya see you later okay well <laughs> like, i like what? i like the idea of fix a felix going with ralph and then calhoun being left to the kids 
And I think it would have been fun if there was, like, a scene where, like, Calhoun and the kids came to get Felix out of the internet. Like, out of the internet? Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, that would have been super fun, and it would have included the Razors and included Calhoun and would do all these fun things. But they don't do that. They just don't do anything with these super fun characters. We have not discussed this at all between seeing the movie and recording this podcast, and we're already coming up with a better script in, yeah. like, the four <laughs> minutes we've been talking about it. That is like, mind-blowing to me. <laughs> Well, it's like, can you just, like, imagine, like, the taffeta and all the racers, like, coming into the internet to, like, get Felix? Like, that would be so funny. There's so <laughs> yeah. much stuff you could do with that. Like, first of all, Calhoun trying to wrangle all these children through the internet is funny in itself. <laughs> yeah, But then, no, totally. like, having Calhoun be like, Felix, get your ass back here now is also really funny. There would probably be a pretty good gag about, like, child blocks on things if you have all the kids go in. I don't know what it would yeah. be, but that's that's a territory you could do you could something. Explore. Someone call Adam Sandler. He could do something with that. <laughs> um, okay, we got to move on. We can't talk okay. about how bad that subplot is the whole okay. episode. It's a um, good subplot. They just don't do it. They don't <laughs> do the thing. So, um, Felix, or not Felix, Ralph and Vanellope... Uh, discover the modem, they sneak in, and they enter the internet, where everything is a wonderful metropolis of product placement, mm-hmm. and uh, there's very clever visual metaphors that have all been done before for every popular website. And there's also that when they first get into the internet, there's that shot that's literally in, in everything, where we follow that light through the mainframe. Oh, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? That shot <laughs> yeah, no, that's literally, literally in every single film that's ever Where been Where little made. glowing dots follow through the wires of a computer chip. Yeah. And that's your characters. Yeah. Yeah, and then we go into the chip and we see where they're going. Yeah, it's in everything. <laughs> um, so, they, okay. So, we're introduced to all these ideas, like, people who are pop-up ads who are trying to get you to click on stuff. Yeah. Which comes up a few times in the rest of the movie. I don't um, like humanizing pop-up ads because yeah. it makes them seem real. Yeah, it's like they're characterizing pop-up scam. ads in the real life as like as Trustable if there's a things. right or like as if there's like just a scrappy down on their luck entrepreneur behind every pop-up ad you see yeah, on the yeah. internet. Well, because when they like click on the gaming ad and they just like go to like his his website. And then they can just, like, leave and everything's fine. It's like, no, you have you got, malware now. You got a lot of malware, Ralph. Yeah, your credit card number is just gone. <laughs> he takes out his credit. He doesn't have a credit card number because he can't afford the steering wheel at all. Yeah. If you Listen. pay attention to the movie, you would know that. Anyway, speaking of credit cards, um, they make their way to eBay, and they don't understand how auctions work because they're video games. So <laughs> as they're bidding on the steering wheel... It was originally only $200, but they bid 27000 or whatever the fuck. Um, <laughs> because they're just, <laughs> yeah, because they're just having fun coming up with big numbers, which is a pretty funny joke, I gotta it say. It is a I funny thought joke. That was fun. It's um, not a good enough joke for the plot to be based around it, but it's a funny <laughs> joke. Yeah. Um, and, like, to be honest, I feel like if they had just left it at $200, them being, like, Oh, we need to make two hundred dollars in twenty-four hours. Feels like a much more reasonable thing to be talking about. Yeah. Like when they're like twenty thousand dollars. Like if you just took all the money numbers in this movie and like scaled them back by like a factor of ten, it would yeah. be way more believable. I mean, because cause it's already stupid that the guy can't afford it, so it doesn't even right. matter what the number is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. 
But yeah, so like, uh, you know what? I'll just I'll just wait until we get there. Um, then so they realize that they can't pay for the steering wheel. So um, they start to to pursue their options to make money in time in order to pay for the steering wheel before their eBay bid uh, expires, if you will. Um, and so they return to one of those scrappy pop-up ads from before, uh, played by Bill Hader. Who's actually a really fun character. But yeah, I, actually, I do really like him. He's a um, really good guy. And uh, his pop-up ad is, Earn money, or get rich quick playing video games. So, um, and they're they go like, back we're his, video games. We're yeah, those. we all we know all about video games. So they go back to his uh, apartment, uh, his website, mm-hmm. and <laughs> they um, embark on their quest. That um, he, Bill Hader, tells them that he can sell a certain car from a certain video game to a buyer for forty thousand dollars. Okay, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, so this is a real thing that exists in real life, where sure, you pay, yes. where you pay people to go to video games and either uh, grind or find special loot for you or get special loot for you, and you buy it from them, and they make real money doing this. I actually know right. someone who does this. Oh yeah, and I think it's really cool that Disney like was actually like in pop culture enough to realize that this is a real thing. Right. I was kind of impressed that they even knew what that was. They had their ear to the ground enough to, like, even be aware of that as yeah, a Yeah, exactly. But when there's, like, there's this car... First of all, Disney doesn't know how online video games work. Uh-huh. Because the whole... What's the video game called? Slaughter Race. The whole Slaughter Race thing doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and, like, even a little bit. Even within, like, the rules of a video game, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but there's this car that you can get... Not how that works. There's a car. Like, it's one of the characters' cars, and if they get it, it's worth forty thousand dollars. And yeah, it's like, and like presumably, it's like a challenge in this MMO yeah. that is just like completely insurmountable, and nobody has ever done it before. Yeah, um, which I don't think is quite how that would ever work in reality. No. Well, what really hurt my brain about it is that when they were like, "You can't take my car," and I was like, "Well, if they take your car, that you." just gonna like respawn a new one like you can't permanently change something in a video game as a player right like right, that's not yeah. a thing that i can do if i pick up this loot this loot doesn't cease to exist in the whole video game <laughs> like you know like i don't know that like hurt my brain as a person who actually knows how video games work i was like wait what are the rules here how does this work um <laughs> so uh oh by the way we totally glossed over um bill Hader's little little buddy yeah what the fuck was he <laughs> okay he like... was <sighs> what is his name is it gord uh gordo gordo he's this weird little guy who's like a total nightmare straight out of don't hug me i'm scared yeah he's this little guy in a sweater whose limbs grow in weird frequencies and doesn't talk, <laughs> and I don't know what he's supposed to be. He's so good, though. He's like, so really good. Movies like that try to, like, do something that's, like, creepy and uncanny, but it's just, like, trying too hard. But Gordo is, like, perfect. Gordo, oh, you can uh... tell, is, like, exactly precisely what they were hoping when they yeah. envisioned this character. He's but, like, perfect. In the context of the internet metaphor... What is he? Is um, he a virus? 
Yeah, I don't know. He's the he's the virus peddler's little brother. I don't know what he's supposed to be either, but he's hey. just a, a thing. Also, who the fuck was the virus peddler? Why was he yeah. a flesh man? This is much later in the film, but I still don't get what he was. Just like they're just as, like at all internet he, gremlins. Yeah, he was just like a flat. He's a flesh boy, first of all, <laughs> in the internet, which is disturbing. And it's just I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's return to Slaughter Race. Um, Yeah. Despite all of its shortcomings as a piece of logical information, um, it's still a fun idea in the context of the movie. Very fun idea. Like, as a design and as a a setting, I think it's super fun. Like, it's just this hyper-violent, like, Grand Theft Auto-esque, like, racing game. And yeah. Vanellope takes to it very quickly. As they're trying to steal the car, Vanellope realizes that this is this is where she belongs and this is what she wants in her life, what's been missing from uh, her career in, in Sugar Rush. <clears throat> yeah. Um, there's, there's a scene in that scene where they're going to steal the car to get the money, and it's uh, one of the main characters of the video game. Her name is Shank. Shank uh, it's her yes. car that they're trying to steal. But uh, there's a scene where two players find the car and are going up, going up against the NPCs in order to get it. And th- it's really funny. We talked about this a lot in the first one, where like characters right. were all animated differently. The way that they animated the player characters was so funny, because yeah. it's totally what bad video game physics look like. Like, they would, like, <laughs> turn really suddenly and, like, jump weird and move and, like, not move their arms and stuff. Like, it looked exactly like a video game. I thought it was Right, hilarious. like a janky MMO server. Yeah, like, it just was so on the nose. <laughs> um... Okay, so then from there, after they fail at stealing Shank's car, um, mm-hmm. Ralph cries a whole bunch. Yes. And <laughs> Shank sympathizes. Shank, played by Gal Gadot, by the way, which I think is yeah. hilarious. I really um, like Shank's character, even though she wasn't one, but yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, I've heard a whole bunch more people saying Gadot lately. I think that's probably right. Yeah, I've known I think Gadot, it's Gal Gadot from things like Waiting for Godot, but whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't um, think that's right. <laughs> The uh so after they fail at uh stealing Shank's car, she says to them, There are much better ways to make money on the internet. Why don't you just go viral? Then they blow a leaf blower in his face and take a video And, and that he goes viral. Becomes an internet sensation overnight. I, okay. <laughs> Going back to the logic of this movie. Do you think it's so easy to get famous on the internet? I know. Like, Disney's perception of what YouTube is like, and it's also yeah. not YouTube in this movie, it's BuzzTube, whatever. Oh, yeah. But their perception is just like, oh, it's so dumb, you can just do anything. Like, anybody who's famous on YouTube has no creativity or artistic integrity. Like, they have yeah. such a low view of YouTube. Okay, also, so just to be clear, an NPC in a video game recorded this video on their phone... <laughs> Right. And uploaded it to real life YouTube. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. And we're all just okay with that. <laughs> and um, also, this NPC is also best friends with the head algorithm at YouTube. Just YouTube. to, just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to get that all out of the way. That's what's happening in this metaphor for right. the internet. <laughs> so okay, and then from there they meet the head algorithm for YouTube, whose name is Yes. Um. And or am I am I missing something? Is there something in between 
that first video and them meeting the algorithm? No, I don't think so. Okay, so they, they meet this algorithm, and she explains to them that um, these uh, hearts equal money in a certain way. So if you can make enough videos with enough views, you can raise the money to buy your steering wheel and save your game, um, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, then they do this whole montage That's... of Ralph creating viral videos that just, like, makes me ache down to my very core. It's so embarrassing to watch. Okay, it's not... I didn't get as much as the cringe as you did. I knew this was, really? like, your least favorite part of the whole movie. It <laughs> it wasn't cringy. I can't state how not funny it was, though. Yeah, no, for sure. It's and not it's funny. Like, oh, God. And there, So, like, the some examples of different viral videos that Ralph makes are um, his head superimposed over a goat that screams. Of an already viral video. He just Yeah, a viral video from like 10 it. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and can I just say, a lot of the like big, like the broad strokes gags in this movie are like straight up just stolen from the internet like 10 oh, years yeah. ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there's one where he's dressed up as Bob Ross and doing a painting. Um, there's one where he... He does an unboxing video. Yeah, there's an unboxing video. They set up this sort of running gag about how bee puns are very popular on the internet in this world. Almost as if Disney was like, obviously this is going to be super dated by the time it comes out, no matter what we do. So we're just going to kind of like call our shot and make something up. And maybe if we're lucky, this will be funny when it comes out. Well, I just thought of it. didn't pan out. I didn't think of it like that. I thought it was just like, what's something ridiculous that would be funny as like a shock value? Like, that's right. popular? That's funny. That's what I thought that joke was. Yeah. It's not funny, either way. No, still not funny. Still um, not funny. <laughs> uh, there's one where he's flossing. I don't remember what the context was. Well, it's like he's like doing like a dance tutorial, and he does several dances, and one oh, of them is right. the floss. Yeah. So it, it's not just him flossing, but he, he <laughs> does, there is a discreet floss, and it sucks. Yeah. Um. And it's just like, oh yeah, the world loves it. They think it's so funny. All these, all these videos. And within the span of 24 hours, he makes like millions and millions of views on like a bazillion different videos. Like a whole bunch of bad videos that he makes. Okay, um, the way that you have to look at this is that you can't think <laughs> of it as just a dude making videos on YouTube. Because right. even in the context of the film, they don't do that. It is a video game character making vi- videos on YouTube. And it's so it's like if OG Bowser suddenly started making <laughs> YouTubes of him making cakes and painting his Bob Ross. Like, that would get very popular. I guess that's fair. That's fair enough. Like, that's a um, part of the fiction, is that it's just not some kid doing stuff. It's uh, right. this fictitious character is doing all this stuff. Um, oh, and by the way, speaking of things that are deeply embarrassing about this movie, we yes. glossed over um, the Miranda Sings cameo earlier in the movie. Yeah, I have never seen a single one of her videos. <laughs> I don't. I don't have opinion about her. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't either. I think she's funny. It's like a character that she does on YouTube. Um... And, like, even if it were, like, a running gag with there being, like, reactions from different famous YouTube people, I wouldn't mind yeah, it so much. But it but was literally just, just her. One time they pushed a, a little internet avatar, they pushed one of them over, and it was like, oh, they lost their internet. And so we do a, a, a cut to the Miranda Sings in a coffee shop, and she says, what the heck? 
and she makes a, a funny face, and I was like, wow, I wish I were dead. Yeah. Um, oh, going back a little bit, I want to yeah. talk about Yes, because I was so happy that she wasn't a villain. I really like her right. character. I think yeah. she's a really fun character. I love her design. Her design is so pretty. Like, she's always in these different costumes, because her whole thing is that she's supposed to be, like, the trendiest person in the world. Yeah. So she's always, like, jumping in between these different costumes, and I thought that right. was super fun. And she's also defo black coded, so I was very happy that they didn't make <laughs> right. her the villain. Yeah, it's and Taraji I, P. Henson, or excuse me, Taraji P. Henson who plays her. Yeah, so I feel like they handled her character really, really well, and I thought she was a really fun character, and I was very happy that she wasn't the villain, even though I feel like this movie kind of needed a villain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where the important plot point we're missing is that um, Ra- uh, Ralph is very scared by how much Vanellope really likes Slaughter Race. Yeah, seeing and, as they'll die in real life, because Sonic told them that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, not only because he's worried about her, like, her well-being. <laughs> yeah. But also because um, he's afraid that she will want to leave him for Slaughter Race and they won't be able to be friends anymore because he's very clingy and uh, he needs constant gratification from people around him. Otherwise, he doesn't feel like they are truly his friends. Yeah. Uh, here, therein lies the core conflict of this movie. Which um, is fine, and I think that's a good conflict. Yeah, and they just the handle it, it in a weird way. Yeah, no, and I think that there is something to be said. I felt... Uh, I'm going to compare it to Inside Out, which is a weird comparison, because that movie is very good. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this movie is very bad, but um, it's not very bad, but it's not as good as Inside Out. No, um, absolutely not. But me, as a an adult viewer of Inside Out, I was like, this is fine, and I enjoy it, like, well enough, but it wasn't, like, anything groundbreaking. But it has what I think to be, like, a truly important and influential message for kids who are watching it. Oh, and absolutely. I was like, yeah, and I was like, this is maybe one of the most important kids' movies ever made. And for that reason, I was like, just because I don't enjoy it quite as much as some other Pixar movies as an adult viewer, um, I still think that this is an incredible movie in its own way for that reason. Yeah, I feel absolutely. slightly similarly about this movie because I think that it deals with an actual, like, complicated emotional problem that yeah. I think a lot of kids are going to be very familiar with in their lives. Um, mm-hmm. And having a movie that deals with it so directly and, like, where the message is not, like, you can do anything if you believe in yourself yeah, is super, super good for kids. So I want to give the movie credit in that regard, that, like, the message and the moral of the story are a plus 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 in my book. Yeah, totally. Um, I still so, think we need a villain. We can yeah. get to that at the very end because they do try several times, and it just gets weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> um. So uh, at this point, uh, yes says to Vanellope, "If you're going to make a whole bunch of money on YouTube, BuzzTube." Um, you're going to need to do some guerrilla marketing. So you are going to be a pop-up ad, and you're going to hang out around the internet and um, like just get all up in people's grill and get them to click on your links. Um, and uh, Adeline, why don't you tell me where uh, Vanellope goes first? Okay, first of all, Vanellope, they were going to just send her into the internet, and they were going to send her to, <laughs> an, to the video gaming district, which is where... Uh, Slaughter races, and Ralph mm-hmm. is like, no, let's put her somewhere else. Put her somewhere kid-friendly. And so they send her to Oh My Disney. 
Yep. I'm going to talk about this scene because you endlessly <laughs> shit on me for liking this scene. So. Well, okay, okay, okay. Let me let me say my piece super quick okay. before you get mad at me for what you think that I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the weird thing about this scene is that it works. It like oh, yeah. totally works in and of itself. It serves absolutely no function in the movie at all. No, though. absolutely not. Everything but, stops for this scene. Yeah, besides just to to be funny and do a bunch of jokes from the internet from ten years ago. Uh, but it works. <laughs> but it works. It's funny. Like, they do yeah. a gag where uh, there's, like, a Q&A with Groot, and they keep asking him questions, and I think Jason Manzoukas is an extra in that scene, like, asking <laughs> angry Marvel continuity questions, and little baby Groot is just like, I am Groot. And they're like, thank you. It's hilarious. Like, that's so yeah, good. Yeah, it's great. Um, and that's almost, like, what makes me angry about it is the fact <laughs> that it works and is so good. Like, it's just, like, such a, a a capitalism nightmare, and it's hugely enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, These so, are yeah, the dark sorry. times, and I'm having a great time. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to, like, interrupt you. Go ahead and do your thing. Yeah, no. Well, it's we've been, I think we even had this discussion on why I think it's not that bad, and you think it's the end of all things. But, yeah. <laughs> but, so, she goes around, and... Uh, they kind of make a joke about Disney being so strict with certain things. Because right. Vanellope pushing her little pop-up ad all around, she gets stopped by stormtroopers. They're like, oh, you got a fucking permit for that? <laughs> and then they <laughs> chase her down a hallway. This They chase this child down a hallway, which I think is a great <laughs> metaphor for how strict Disney is about things. Right. But then, yeah, so she escapes by going into the princess uh, dressing room, and she meets all the princesses, and they she she's a princess. They're all princesses, Jackson. <laughs> yeah, and they wear hipster pajamas. Isn't that so funny? <laughs> okay, but the thing is, I really like that scene. I love... Well, I, I was really impressed because I thought Disney was going to try and go back and make all of their Disney princesses super modern and super, like, with the times. Right. And, like, change their mannerisms and all this stuff. But they totally did it. It's like, Cinderella acts exactly how you think Cinderella would act. Ariel right. is, like, so in character that I was kind of surprised <laughs> how well they characterized Ariel. Right. Like, yeah. I was like, whoa, that's just Ariel. Like, they didn't try to, like, do something. They just, like, let them be the princesses. And I thought that was super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was else I was going to say? The only thing that I hate about the designs that they did to kind of modernize them just a little bit is that they gave Cinderella bangs, and it looks fucking ugly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the okay. only thing that I have. <laughs> that was just a weird hot take I wasn't expecting from you on this I podcast. I don't know why it bugs me so much. For some reason, it really bugs me. <laughs> okay, okay, total tangent about Disney princesses. I don't... Right. I am not a Disney girl. I don't know why I have so many opinions about Disney princesses. Anyway, so the OG, like, Disney stuff, they had, like, the stickers and the things, and they would plaster Disney princesses all over. And it used to be all the original designs. But mm. a while ago, this was probably, like, five years ago now, they did these redesigns of all of that stuff to make the Disney princesses, like, sparkly more modern. But mm. they gave... I, I just hated them. They put Ariel <laughs> in this weird blue dress. They made them all sparkly. They gave them all, like, curly hair and stuff. It was just weird. And they gave Cinderella bangs, and it looks bad. And they did it in this movie, too. Stop giving Cinderella bangs. She doesn't have bangs. She just has her hair tucked back, and it makes a little poofy thing. It's whatever. Right. Stop giving her bangs. <laughs> um, but, yeah, oh, I really and... liked how they designed the princesses. I feel like that scene 
it kind of stops the movie, but it does kind of tell you that that's what Penelope wants, is that her greatest dream as a princess is to stay here, and I think that was cool. Right. I also and I appreciate... like the pajama designs. Oh, yeah. And I also appreciate that they gave um, the Muppets some Disney representation. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> Disney's been fucking sleeping on the Muppets for a really long time, and that is okay, a no, travesty. They tried so hard with the Muppets, but they just couldn't do it. They made the Muppet yeah. movie... That was super good. We should do great. the Muppet movie because should, I love that, that movie. That incredible. That movie's really, really good. And then they made a sequel to that. Which that was bad. Was bad. It was just really <laughs> bad. And then they made The Office, but with the Muppets. And that was okay for a little bit. It wasn't really terrible. It was, it was a really good idea. They just did it weird. They like broke up Kermit and Mrs. Piggy, which they shouldn't have done. No, yes, they should. What are you talking about, Adeline? What? That is the greatest Muppets creative decision since the invention of strings. Okay, no, I'm not mad that they. I'm not mad that they broke them up. I'm mad that they immediately gave Kermit a girlfriend who I don't give a shit about, and then had fair them enough. just get back together anyway. So okay, okay. That's, that's they didn't enough. actually break them up. It wasn't like oh they're just friends now. It wasn't that. It was like whoa they're broken up. I don't know, I thought it was just a fun... I think when you're doing something like that, like, the Muppets have been exactly the same thing for a million years. So it's almost like when in Marvel Comics, it's like, oh, Peter Parker's Dr. Octopus now, what? Yeah. It's like everyone knows that's not going to be forever, but it's something fun that to just, like, change it up and make it different I mean, for yeah. a little while, you know? I thought it was a great idea. I think it was Wait. a fun... I, I think it was a fun little diversion from the status quo... For, that they milked for the drama of the one story, and then it was over, and you can go fuck yourself. And I'm a, I'm ride or die on the Muppets. I wish that show was better. If that True, show was good, too. it would have been so good. Anyway, <laughs> what were we talking about? Yeah, we're way off. <laughs> way off. We place. went places. Um, uh, so where are we at? Oh my Disney. Um, yeah. So we're past yeah. that. How does she even? Oh, and by the way, speaking of jokes that are just straight up stolen from the internet, the joke about uh, the princess from Brave having a really heavy Scottish accent and nobody can understand her. Oh, the racism? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I don't know, I'm not even <laughs> upset about that. I just mean, like, that's a joke from Twitter from, like, four years ago. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That they well, just I wouldn't... stole. They just straight up stole. I've been seeing a lot of tweets from Scottish people recently that have been like, hey, Stop doing this for every single person with a Scottish accent. Like, just stop. <laughs> so I'm a little. Whenever I see people making jokes about that, I'm like, hey, it's not. It's not. First of all, it's not funny anymore. Right, Second yeah. of all, people okay. who are Scottish don't like it, so stop. <laughs> um, what I don't know if there's something in between. I don't remember how we transition out of the Oh My Disney sequence. Okay, um, so what happens is that they get to the goal. So first of all, this goal doesn't matter. We get the money, right. it doesn't matter. Anyway. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. Is that before or after the comments section? That's right before. Okay, okay. Then, then yeah. Because I want to touch he... on the comments section. Okay, go. That's where we are in the film, so. Okay, gotcha. So, um, oh, and by the way, in the princess sequence, they tell Vanellope that if she wants something, she should sing about it, and that comes back later. Whatever. Yeah. Um, the, the comments section is, I think, almost as big of a missed opportunity as the Felix subplot is. Yeah. Because this whole movie is built around Ralph being insecure, mm -hmm. and it's all about him, like, not feeling like him just being okay with himself is enough for him. 
mm-hmm. and him entering the comment section and seeing all the mean things that people are saying about him doesn't have any effect on the rest of the movie at all. That's He true. walks in there, and they all say, Ralph is dumb, and Yes says, oh no, don't read the comments, wink, that's a joke from the internet, and then we move on. Yeah. Like... That should be the scene, like, if you ask me, if I were writing the script, that would be the emotional center of this whole movie. That would be, like, where Ralph hits rock bottom and realizes something needs to change. That would be, like, something other than just, like, a weird gag that they play off as not funny. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so much nothing. And I feel like it ties so well into the themes of the movie, and they don't do anything with it at all. Yeah, well, I feel like Ralph's emotional well-being is too tied to Vanellope. And right. I know it's because Vanellope is, like, his best friend, and, she, and to him, she is the reassurance that he's not a bad guy. Like, she, he relies on her a lot, and I think that's fine. But in the context of the movie, they make it all about Vanellope, all about Vanellope. And I think that's an important part of why he's insecure, Right. But they kind of ignore all the other reasons why he's insecure. And if they had brought Felix along, you could go back into the him being the good guy and him being the villain. You could have brought that back because yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. that's why he felt so terrible in the first movie. You, Felix should have fucking come anyway. God fucking damn it! We're gonna write a new script for I know. Ralph Rex the Internet. We're gonna call it Ralph Rex the Internet as it should have been, <laughs> and it's just gonna be a hundred times better. And the emotional climax is gonna be in the comment section, and Felix will be there. And I would probably won't even have Oh My Disney in it. There's no princesses. <laughs> no, I like the princesses. <laughs> Cinderella doesn't have bangs anymore. <laughs> and we'll only steal a couple of jokes from the internet. Instead of all of them. Only a few. <laughs> and there will be more Vine references. <laughs> more Vines. They, more Vines. They more didn't vines. talk about Vine at all, and I'm angry. <laughs> there could have been, like, a graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so good. Or they could be like, or they could do like one video that like bombs, and they're like, oh, why did that do so bad? And they're like, I don't know. And they like look over, and you just see like the vine graveyard in the background. <laughs> that would have been so good. They're like walking through this little, this like weird graveyard, and it's all spooky. And in the background, you just hear like, look at all those thickens. Like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it's not vine. <laughs> They well, could it's be like attacked even by the potato okay. that flew around my room, and it would be great. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I sure hope it does. <laughs> anyway, we can't have another segment where we just describe vines. Anyway. <laughs> but in that, okay, if we did that, going back to our fictitious version of Ralph Rick's Internet, right. at the very beginning, when she's like, oh, you're that guy from that viral video, what's up? And then as they're talking, that video isn't viral anymore, and she kind of loses, loses interest in him. If they they could do like some representation of like all what happens to videos that aren't like viral anymore, then you right. could have that graveyard with Vine in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea too. Yeah, that would have been fun. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Disney. <laughs> so anyway, um, then we move on to something that I think is maybe like the best gag in the whole movie, which is where uh, Vanellope, after conversing with the princesses and hearing that she needs to sing about things. Um, starts to really think about her position and where she's at, and she sings a song written by Alan Menken, like, writer of such <laughs> classics as, like, he wrote the music for Beauty and the Beast, um, <laughs> about Slaughter Race and how much her heart yearns for it, and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's very good. Um, yeah, the song is called A Place Called Slaughter Race, 
And it's like, honestly, like honest to God, maybe the best part of the whole movie to me. <laughs> it's really good. Well, first of all, it's a musical, which I wasn't expecting in Wreck-It Ralph. And they have this choreography in it. I know it's animation, but they have these like scenes set up. That's like actually really cool and really impressive yeah, totally. and really fun. They do so much stuff with like colors and like layers and like I don't know, it's just like a really like cool and pretty scene. <clears throat> right. It's just like they nail it and I think it's hilarious. So um at this point, uh Vanellope is hanging out a lot more at Slaughter Race and talking to Shank. Um mm-hmm. meanwhile Ralph is um doing something else I can't remember. No, he's calling her because they just got the amount. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, cereal. so he finds yeah. out that he got the money, and he here's uh, here's the best scene in the movie. Are you ready? Um, it's <laughs> it's when Ralph calls Vanellope. She doesn't pick up. So what happens is uh, the phone answers itself, but it's on mute. So Ralph can hear everything they're saying, but she can't hear him. And Vanellope is talking to Shank all about how she doesn't – saying all these mean things about Ralph and how she thinks she needs to get away from him. I, it's like it, – every movie where there's a miscommunication and you're just like, this is so stupid, it's like that times ten. It's <laughs> yeah. like – it's like if – the only thing that would make this worse if it, is if, like, if, like, Vanellope got amnesia. Like, that would be, like, the <laughs> pinnacle. No, and it's just like the – I I don't know. I mean, to me, I mean, it's not really a miscommunication because it's not like Ralph is hearing something that's not true. I mean, I think Vanilla yeah. is like being truthful. It's not true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I don't know. I'm just more hung up on the phone thing, to be honest. Yeah, that's not like, how that what works. The fuck is that? That is like the weirdest, <laughs> most contrived bullshit I've ever seen in a movie. This movie is so reliant on how the internet works and how video games work <laughs> and then just like fundamentally ignores all the rules that it right. sets up in the movie and also in real life. <laughs> like, so, uh... um, yeah. So Vanellope says something along the lines of like, I really feel at home here and I don't think Ralph understands that and I wish that he would give me some space sometimes or, or something along those lines. Um, at which point Ralph gets very upset as anyone would. And uh, he decides that he's going to try to sabotage Slaughter Race. So, so that she gets bored with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it becomes boring and less fun, and she wants to come back to Sugar Rush. Um, so we go back to the best character in the movie, Gordo. Um, and he, <laughs> takes, he takes Ralph to... The dark um, web. The dark web, which I think there's a, a sort of a little gag in the dark web where all the little, like, avatars for people that we've seen the entire time are, like, all wearing sunglasses and hoodies. And they're walking yeah, around which is the really web, good. Which is hilarious. I think that's great. Um, but, yeah, so we're down in the spooky dark web, and um, uh, Ralph uh, asks Gordo's older brother, who's a big... Weird slug guy with a sentient tumor on his neck. Yeah, who's like um, Jabba the Hutt, but a Jabba <laughs> the Hutt was made of every obese nerd you've ever had an internet fight with. But it's played by Alfred Molina, too, which is hilarious. But I already talked about this, but what is he? What is he <laughs> yeah. supposed to be? He's not... He's not an avatar. He's not a dude. He's just a right. thing that He's exists just... in the internet that makes viruses. Yeah, like, there's what? no, like, corollary between him and a no. real-world phenomenon. And I don't want him in my computer. What the fuck is that? <laughs> 
Um, so, uh, this guy, whose name I don't know, Gordo's brother. Whatever his name is. Something stupid. I don't remember. <laughs> gives Ralph, uh, this creepy virus worm that will, um, and I quote, look for insecurity and, uh, take advantage of it to make it, uh, make the whole game insecure. Um, <sighs> at which point I was just like hit in the face of the t-shirt cannon and I was like, okay, 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 we get it. Okay. I'm going to explain this part because I <laughs> swan to John. Okay. <laughs> so you, they give you this worm and the whole time Rex like, it'll just like slow it down and make it not fun. And the guy's like, no, it's going to destroy everything. And, and Ralph's like, it's just like make it not fun, right? Yeah. Okay. Bye. It's like, no, it's going to fuck shit up anyway. <laughs> but so what it does is that it finds insecurities in a game and replicates them to everything else in the game. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, fine, whatever. But that it has to be it's it means like in parts that are not secure in the game code <laughs> right. yeah. is what that fucking means <laughs> is that's what that means so it goes into the game and uh Vanellope gets nervous about telling uh Ralph that she wants to stay there so she glitches and the virus sees that and makes everything else in the game start to, to glitch like she does. And she crashes the car and almost dies. And Rick and Ralph has to get her <laughs> out of there before the game resets. Because if the game resets it and she's in there, she'll die. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just the way you said that got me really good. Yeah. Because if she's in there, she'll die. <laughs> <laughs> So Ralph. So gets okay, in the sorry. Game. Can I butt in super quick? Um, yes. The whole thing about Vanellope's glitching is like a theme from the first movie that got resolved already. Like there has not been a thematic element in this movie at all, but it's just like yeah. a weird leftover plot device from the last movie that is like not relevant to the story in any way. But it, for some reason, it's still like a major con, like a major plot point at the end of this yeah. movie, which is just okay. like bad writing but whatever well so in the first movie we decided we were told that her glitching is good and it's a part of who she is and she can use it to her advantage and it's a positive in our life now Mm -hmm. in this movie she only well she glitches to her advantage a lot of the times we see her do it it's not a race we see her do her in her own game but she also glitches a little bit when she gets super nervous or super mad so it's kind of tied to her emotions a little bit which wasn't really a thing in the other movie but it's fine it's whatever So, yeah, throughout the whole movie, whenever she gets anxious or nervous about her game getting shut down or not knowing what to do with her life or all the stuff that she's nervous about, she glitches. So that's when she's getting nervous about telling Ralph something, she glitches, and that's what the virus sees. And that's whatever, it's just not something that we've ever established in the first movie. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I like that that happens, like, that it's sort of like a little character quirk that I think works really, really well. Yeah. Um, And... I mean, I don't know, like I said, like, her, it's not part of the, like, conflict of the movie, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, like, it's an idea that would have worked really well in the first movie, where her being a glitch and glitching out all the time was, like, the main thing we were talking about, and, like, the idea of her glitch being exploited to, like, affect all these other things, like, is thematically relevant to the first movie. Oh, absolutely. It's not thematically relevant to this movie at all, though. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, okay, yeah, you can continue. I don't remember where you were, but... Uh, hold on, I'm looking where I am in my notes, because I feel like I've missed something. The worm is distributing her insecurity to the rest of the game. So Ralph and Vanellope get out of the game before it resets, and for some reason, 
the NPCs all remember Vanellope after the game resets, even though she's not part of the game. That's a thing. Whatever. Anyway. Doesn't matter. Um, so they get out, and Ralph's like, oh, I didn't think it would destroy it, even though the dude was very clearly it would destroy it. <laughs> and then it would destroy um, it, yeah. And then Vanellope gets extremely mad at Ralph, and she says that he's manipulative, manipulative and a bad friend, and they have this big fight. Mm-hmm. And that should have been an emotional scene, but it wasn't. Oh, really? You didn't like that scene? I don't know. It's just, it's because it was living up to the scene in the first movie, which is like the right. most heartbreaking scene in all That's of cinema. True. And so, I don't know. Like, there was a lot. It, it's the way that they played it. I don't know. It's because I understood where Ralph was coming from, that he was afraid that he was going to lose her, so, she, so he did something brash. Right. And even if that was something that hurt Vanellope and Vanellope is upset by it, like, I feel like Vanellope was being a little bit unreasonable, you yeah. know? Like, I think that's part of the subtext of the scene, though, to be honest. Yeah. And especially because I, that's the thing that I think does work about the fact that it was her glitch. The fact that he took advantage of something about her in order to, like, yeah. uh, sabotage her plans makes it, like, a really personal affront, you know? But they and didn't I think touch on that at all. And that, I feel yeah, like that's true. That's sort of did, all like work on my part. Yeah, and if they had, then that scene would be extremely emotional, and I feel like it would work better. Like, don't get me wrong, it still works. It just doesn't yeah. work as much as I kind of wanted to, as much as right. the emotional crutch of a Wreck-It Ralph movie should, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. But so then they, I forget what happens then, <laughs> they get mad at each other, and they split up, and she breaks his necklace that says, I'm your hero. Yeah. And she, like, throws it in a ditch, and he goes to get it. Oh, and then the virus starts to copy him because he's insecure. Because he's very insecure, yeah. <laughs> Which is so stupid. It's such a weird metaphor. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> like, I don't know. There's, I would have preferred, I this. I feel exactly the way about Frozen. Like, I don't mind this movie until we get to, like, the big bad at the end. And then I think it's stupid. <laughs> Like and, yeah, so like presumably the virus's whole deal is that it finds insecurities in things, and like exploits them and copies them and makes them big so they're everywhere. So yeah. Ralph's emotional insecurity counts, I guess. So but it doesn't. It, it doesn't. Okay, what I thought it was going to do, and I thought this was a good idea. I thought it was going to give other characters this emotional anxiety. Right. And I thought that was going to be really fun and cool. No, it just clones this weird <laughs> version of Ralph that's just super emotionally needy and doesn't have any brain. Right. Uh-huh. And it's stupid. And then they all get together and, like, make a bender from that one episode of Futurama and they yeah, make uh-huh. a big Wreck-It Ralph. And then that big Wreck-It Ralph makes a weird King Kong reference and steals Vanellope. Yep. Uh, okay, I want to say really quickly that I think there's a certain sort of uncanny realism to the fact that, like, Wreck-It Ralph becomes this icon for, like, this huge act of, like, cyber-terrorism. <laughs> like, yeah. There's something about, like, this, like, nostalgic character icon being warped and manipulated for, like, nefarious, like, purposes online that feels yeah. so real-world in a way that I can't quite describe. Oh, yeah. No, I t- like, that just seems like a thing that would happen. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know, I think you feel like he becomes the equivalent of Shrek in that world, which hasn't really happened in real life, but it's, like, it's close. Well, it's kind of, like, anonymous taking the V for Vendetta mask, you exactly, know? Exactly, yeah. Like, it's kind of like that. Um, 
but yeah, okay, this is a this is just a miscellaneous uh note. That's not it's not a real criticism of the movie, but I'm just curious. Um mm-hmm. the big Google building, why is it yeah. all boxes? What is that supposed to represent? Um that's their thing, boxes. I don't think it is. Yeah, do you know how they with the boxes? They do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's okay, um, this is totally unrelated, but there's a shot where he takes the pin from Pinterest and tries to fight the big King Kong yeah, monster with it. I was about to say and that. I, well, it's like, well, that's fun and whatever, but they're like, oh, <laughs> they're destroying Pinterest. It's like, uh, Pinterest is already in shambles. The UI <laughs> for Pinterest is just a nightmare. Don't get me started. <laughs> um, I do really like. There's an emotional beat in there though, because all of these all of these Ralphs are super emotionally needy and they're always going after Vanellope because that's like. Cause she's they're like the they're, it's like a blowing movie. up of his real life problems. Yeah. So they're just like, oh, love Vanellope, must have Vanellope. Um, but there is a moment where uh, Ralph is the person who has to be like, you can't control somebody, you know, they're their own person, and just because you care a lot about them doesn't mean they have to do everything you say or whatever it is. Like, basically yeah. spouts the moral of the movie right at you. But yeah. um, having him sort of come to that realization on his own without somebody else telling him that first, I think is yeah. a really smart move. The one thing that I don't like about it is that we have... I think he goes to Dark Web. I don't know. Wherever Ralph goes when the necklace breaks, he's there being sad. And Vanellope is going around being mad. And then she gets chased by all these Ralphs. And then Vanellope and Ralph meet up again. And Ralph has this, like, total change of heart. Literally out of nowhere. Because, like, a single scene has passed where we right. haven't seen him. And he's like, oh, well, you gotta let her go. Like, this marvelous thing that I've learned in two seconds, I guess. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just don't know where he gets that realization yeah. from well i mean i don't know it worked for me because the the interstitial pieces between those scenes are that like this very dangerous thing is happening and it totally makes sense to me for ralph to be like oh shit's going down i need to save vanellope because that's like his whole deal in this movie so mm-hmm. when he goes to find vanellope they meet up and he's trying to save her and then there's that line a little bit later where they're all like super needy and gross and he's like oh now i kind of now i kind of see it you know yeah and it's also, like, just in general, I mean, this is, like, maybe me defending the movie more than it deserves, but, like, it's a lot easier to see flaws in somebody else than it is to see flaws in yourself. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like it worked in that moment to have Ralph look at all these Ralphs and be like, you can't be this way, and then be like, oh, shit. Uh, I am. <laughs> it worked. me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It worked for me. It I doesn't have to work for you, but I thought I, I thought that. Well, I don't think it doesn't work. I just think I don't know. It's, it's such a subtle thing that I feel like I didn't really realize it. But you're right. There is that moment where he's like, "Oh, is this what I'm like?" So I, yeah. yeah, there is there there is evidence of an emotional change happening. Right, and it I is kind of fun. Really pick up on. Yeah, and it is kind of fun that you've got um, sort of a payoff of the Disney princesses. Yeah, unne- like it's still an unnecessary payoff, but like it's still it makes it feel like it's, it's more fun. part of the movie. Um, yeah, that in that scene where all the princesses, well, basically, so they all of the Ralph viruses realize that they were wrong and they disappear into glitter or something. I don't remember. They <laughs> they lose whatever. Something happens. Something something happens. They drop Ralph. Uh, and all the princesses whoosh in to save uh, Ralph as he falls through the internet. Don't worry about it. Um. <laughs> But there's, they do all, they're like using all their powers and all those references from the movies. And it's actually like a really fun thing. 
But uh, they do this mashup of all the classic uh, Disney princess themes during that scene, and it's oh, super yeah. cool. That's super yeah. fun. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Henry Jackman still does the music for this one, and this yeah. uh, the score for this movie is pretty much as good as the first one, which was great. Yeah, uh, music's so great. Something, something worth noting. Um, <laughs> this is slightly irrelevant. This is just where I have it written down in my notes. Um, mm-hmm. Did you feel like Vanellope's face was weirdly shiny sometimes? I did not get that even a little bit. Really? Okay. Yes. There were defo a few moments where, like, it felt like... It wasn't, like, porcelain doll levels of shiny. It was more like she has, like, like her face is slightly wet. <laughs> like... It feels like a that. okay, yeah. It feels like it was a weird choice of, to like try to stylize her by having her have like this unique texture on her skin, but it's just like slightly more reflective than like regular okay. skin. I don't know. Maybe I'm just high. <laughs> um, okay, cool. <laughs> on the ganja. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, it feels like there was something else that I didn't write down that I was thinking of for this last scene. Um. Well, so they uh, wreck it, Ralph and saves Vanellope, and then they get to the part of the movie where Vanellope's like, I'm gonna stay at Slaughter Race, and I'm in the code now. Don't, who fucking knows? <laughs> I'm in the code um, now, it's fine. Yeah, so she's like, I won't die if I die. And wreck it, Ralph's like, cool, I'll see you later. But they're in that scene, they do this scene where they're like waving to each other goodbye, yeah. and it fucking gets me. Yeah, that seems really good. And especially mm-hmm. for me, I mean, like, a little bit behind the scenes knowledge, I've been in a long-distance relationship with my girlfriend for almost four years now. Um, yeah. And, like, that scene is, like, it's something about it just feels so true to life. Mm-hmm. And, like, even even though I don't like this movie on the whole, like, that scene works so well, and it gets oh, me really, so really good. Yeah. Um, and especially at the end, um, this is skipping over an important part where we go back to Felix, but right at the very end, there's a little exchange between Felix and Ralph where he's like, Hey Ralph, are you doing okay? And he's like, yeah, you know what? I think I am. And like, I don't know. I just feel that like this idea that yeah. like you're still sad and you're not going to stop being sad about it, but you can still be happy in other ways and live your life and be yeah. a successful person. But it's always like there with you. And it's like, you're, it's like you're happy in spite of something almost. And it just like, I feel like they really nail the, the sensation of that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, See, and that, but that scene breaks my heart because there's obviously a relationship between Wreck-It Ralph and Fix-It Felix, <laughs> yeah. no, where and, Felix is like worried about him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, <laughs> and so yeah, after they get back, we cut back to Felix and Calhoun, who have perfect kids now, and. During the events of the movie, they fathered and mothered these perfect children, and they do a joke about how they unlocked the ultimate secret to parenting, but then the cars drive by as they try to explain it to somebody, so you don't get to hear it. Aw, shucks. Which is an okay goof, Yeah, but I was just mad that they weren't in the movie. Yeah, because they're not in the movie, and they, like, just fucking, god damn it. I'm so mad about it. The... Yeah, I do. Yeah, Calhoun uh, deserves better. I did. Does. It took me a very long time to learn Calhoun's name because yeah, that's too. just the character that she is. It's a bad but name. She deserves better. Yeah, 
Like, she was, if Felix was barely in this movie, but she was in this movie even less than he was. And she was, like, the main character of the first one. So right. I'm salty. <laughs> um, and uh, do you want to talk about the post credit scene, the first one? Why is why is it just Moana? Yeah. Why I, is it I just Moana? I told you this a little Moana? bit earlier. I feel like ever since studios... Like, because studios always sort of did Easter eggs like that. But yeah. they were always very small, and they were mostly for the fun and the benefit of the people making the movie. But once, like, people caught on to it and started making a thing out of it, it feels like yeah. every studio in the world is like, we got to put in a whole bunch of Easter eggs and make sure everybody sees them, because otherwise they won't talk about it. So, yeah. like, they just have to be like, oh, the girl in the backseat of the car is Moana, and her name's Moana, and she just is Moana. And you're like, okay, fine, yeah, sure, Yeah, it's just baby whatever. Moana. But it's like, so, the whole joke is that they're in the back of the car, and the mom's like, did you like the movie, Mo? And she's like, there was a part in the trailer that wasn't in the movie, and that makes me sad. And then it plays that part from the trailer where Wreck-It Ralph and Penelope feed that bunny until it gets really fat and explodes, yeah, explodes. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, what time is it? It's fetish o'clock. Continue. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, like, in the context of the trailer, I thought it was more like, we need a funny thing to put in the trailer, so let's make this little girl and we'll just reuse the Moana stuff. Right, yeah. So we can just do it really quickly so we have something to put in the trailer. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. And that's probably what it was. But then when they decided not to put that in the movie, or were never going to put that in the movie, they were like, oh, people really like that scene, and they realized that it was the baby Moana. So they're Uh like, oh, we'll just draw attention to it and make a little part before that where the mom calls her Mo. And then we'll put it at the end of the credits. So I feel like it wasn't really supposed to be an Easter egg. I think it was like, oh, we need something funny to put in the trailer. We'll just make something really quick with the old models. But then they were mm. like, oh, we can do things. And, <laughs> and we will. Like, yeah, it's another one of those weird Disney self-aware wink-wink, nudge-nudge kind of jokes that they can't stop doing lately. Yeah. That's just like, oh, we know you'll complain if it's not in the movie, so here it is, you idiots. It's like, yeah. God, like fucking... Just don't do that. And to be fair, there are people like that, but right. it's not all of them, and I wish Disney would stop assuming that I'm one of them. Well, I don't know. I don't even think it necessarily even has to do with that. It's like, just don't fucking draw attention to it. Just be a fucking movie studio. Don't yeah. try to <laughs> just talk to movies. me. Yeah. Jesus. Um, <laughs> um, oh, did you watch the second post credit scene that we missed that I sent to you? No. Oh, okay. Take a little break and watch it, because it's very important. I saw what it's called. I know. <laughs> okay. It's really good, though. It's really and truly very good, and it I think it speaks to the the reality of the good internet jokes that could have been in this movie but weren't. Okay, hold on. I'm watching it right now. And now, an exclusive sneak peek of <laughs> Okay, it's really fucking yeah, good. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> the fact I thought it was just gonna be like his head superimposed on it. No. But the fact that they just like fully animated <laughs> yeah. it is really fucking good. <laughs> I 
fucking Felix is yeah, the bartender. Yeah, Felix being the bartender is the best idea anyone's ever had. It's so funny. Um, I didn't okay, see that that either time I watched this movie. I saw the first one and I was just like, okay, see ya, because this movie's blowing my mind right now and I gotta I need some fresh air. <laughs> I'm super high right now. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I, we're, I mean, we're at the end of the movie. Do you have any big wrap-up thoughts? I mean, this... I just, I, it's, there, okay, there was no way that a sequel to Wreck-It Ralph was going to be as good as the first one. We've talked about how much we love the first movie. Right. And, like, you kind of, like, get that going in. Like, it's not going to be as good as the first, it's going to be different, what are they going to do? And the fact that they did this... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, even the concept isn't that bad. Right. I wish that they had stuck to the gaming aspect of it, though. Yeah. Because I felt like they were like, they'll go into the internet and they'll explore all these different types of gaming. And I thought it was going to be like kind of like exploring like the new age of gaming. And I thought that was going to be a really cool concept. But instead, they just like went through the whole internet and it just didn't make any sense for them to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all the other stuff happened and it was like, whatever. <laughs> And yeah, and like just in general, this movie moves at like a mile a minute. Like we go on so yeah. many weird little tan like tangents and the characters' goals change so many times. Oh that yeah. You're just like you almost like get whiplash. You're just like being drug along on this thing. You're just like, what the fuck is going on? Like Yeah. Why are we making dumb bad YouTube videos right now? Like what because yeah, we need money. It's like almost easy to lose track of what's happening. Oh, absolutely. Um yeah, I mean that's all. It's just it's a it's a fucking weird, weird, weird movie. It's it's weird. <laughs> just it's just weird. Do you want to talk about your uh, secondary thing today? I will. Good. Hold on. You don't have to have it out. I well I do so okay. die mad about <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> my thing that I'm going to be talking about today for show and tell I brought. The Adventure Zone graphic novel, Here There Be Gerblins, because it's very good. Okay, first of all, The Adventure Zone is a podcast where the McElroy brothers, uh, that's Travis, Justin, and Griffin, I almost forgot their names, and I literally <laughs> don't know how that's possible, because I'm literally just listening to my brother and my brother and me every second of my waking life. Um... <laughs> So the Adventure Zone is a podcast with them where they play Dungeons and Dragons with their dad, Clint McElroy, and it has gone on to be a very heartfelt and great story made by these guys playing D&D together. Uh, and so that their first, like, arc story season ended, I want to say semi-recently, but it was a while ago now. Like, yeah, they're well into their second ago. season. Yeah. Yeah. But so as that wrapped up, they decided that they would make a graphic novel of that first story that they did. And it's super good. First of all, <laughs> if you haven't checked out The Adventure Zone, please check out The Adventure Zone because it's great. But the graphic novel is also great because it's bas- it's the same story. It's taken from the content. Well, cut that out. Actually, edit for once, Jackson. I will not. <laughs> God, anyway. <laughs> They take it from its podcast form and they put it into a graphic novel, so the dialogue isn't exactly the same. They switch up some story elements and they make it a lot cleaner, especially because at the very beginning they were, like, learning how to play D&D, so it's not the most fluent storytelling on the planet. But yeah, yeah, so they clean it up a little bit to put it into a graphic novel. And the art and, well, I'm jumping around a lot because I really love it, but uh, 
The story for the graphic novel was written by Clint and Carrie Peach. Peach. P-I-E-T-S-C-H. And I think it's Carrie Peach. It's pronounced Peach. <laughs> Carrie Peach is what I'm going to call her. <laughs> okay. I don't know if that's what her name is, but she is an amazing artist. I love her art in this book. It's such a cool, simple, stylized way to draw. And it's so clean and nice and simple with like really cool shapes and really pretty colors. Like I just adore her art. Like this is the kind of art that I want to aspire to do. Like it's right. so good. It's so good. <laughs> but yeah, it follows the story of the first arc of the Adventure Zone. Here they here there be Gerblins, where we meet our adventurers Taco, Magnus, and Merle as they go and try to rescue Merle's cousin. And then other things happen after that that are plot relevant. But yeah, that's how it starts. <laughs> yeah. So uh, did you know that uh, the I guess the four of them um, are going to be writing a comic for Marvel uh, that's coming out in a couple of months. Uh, are you a, serious? Yeah, it's a journey into mystery story. So it's not it's not about a singular character. It's like just sort of a general story, but it's going to have Miles Morales and Kate Bishop in it as sort of oh, protagonists. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like a tie into the big War of the Realms event, but that's gonna be coming out soon, just like a little five issue limited series that they're writing. It's maybe the oh, only Marvel awesome. comic I've ever seen that has four credited writers on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I think I'm definitely gonna be picking it up. <clears throat> yeah, that seems really cool. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it without giving away like plot points and spoilers and stuff for the story. The story is super good and totally evolves from that first thing that I said. Yeah. I like the art is super good. There is the one thing that is a little bit sucky about it is that it does have a lot of swearing in it, so it's kind of hard to share with people who don't like swearing. <laughs> right. And there's not it's not like bad swearing and there's not a lot of swearing, but like on like the first few pages they say like shit and damn and hell and stuff. Like it's not not bad at all, but it, like I can't share it with my mom cuz she'll get upset. But <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. It's like, I took it babysitting with me just because I had just gotten it and I was reading it. And my kids I babysit are like 8 and 10. And they were like, oh, can we read the book that you're reading? I love graphic novels. And I was like, uh, no. No, no you can't. Go to bed. Taco's like, fuck you, I'm a wizard. I was like, no, I probably shouldn't <laughs> hand this to a child. Even though it's great and full of lessons about loving and learning. But yeah. <laughs> So I super recommend you, te- you check out The Adventure Zone. It's a really heartfelt, cool story. And it's what it's one of the things that got me into D&D because my preconceived notion about D&D was that it was very flat storytelling, very basic, very boring, kind of He-Man, Conan kind of stuff <laughs> that I just like wasn't interested in at all. And The Adventure Zone was one of the first few things I saw of D&D that was like, had super cool characters and had a right. fun story and wasn't just two-dimensional, I kill the thing storytelling, you know? Yeah. Like, it's a super good intro to D&D, even though they're probably the worst D&D players on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I could not recommend The Adventure Zone more than I am right now. <laughs> and after you check yes, that you out, could. or Don't even before you check that out, check out The Adventure Zone graphic novel, Here There Be Gerblins. The second part is coming out in July, and I'm so freaking excited. <laughs> What's right, your that, thing, Jackson? Is that your wrap-up? Okay. Yes. So, 
Um, about a month ago, as of when I'm recording this, I don't know how it'll correlate to when this actually comes out, but whatever. Um, Weezer came out with their new album called The Black Album, and it's not very good, but that's not what I'm going <laughs> to talk about. Um, <laughs> because I'm like a big lifelong Weezer fan. Yeah, so, Jackson loves Weezer. Yeah. The, uh, the way I see it, there's like a huge debate in pop culture about Weezer. There's like two camps. <laughs> There's As the... demonstrated by <laughs> SNL. Yeah, precisely. So there's the, like, Weezer's first two albums are great and everything else sucks ass camp that a lot of people are in. And there's a lot of people that are just like, no, Weezer's just cool in general. Um, and I fall more on the broader, like, Weezer's just great in general. More specifically, I feel like there are three eras of Weezer. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You're going to start, like, pulling out charts. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the first two albums are the Blue Album and Pinkerton, which are, like, two of the best albums of all time. They're incredible. Then from there, you have, like, from the year 2000 to, like, 2010, which I call questionable. <laughs> there's some stuff that's pretty good, and there's some stuff that's pretty bad, and there's one album in particular that makes me wish I were dead. Um... <laughs> The album was called Ratitude, and it featured singles like um, Can't Stop Partying. That's not a joke. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is a real thing. Anyway. Can't um, stress that enough. Yeah, but then in, like, 2011, they came out with... It wasn't 2011. It was probably more like 14? Whatever. Um, Basically, their their current era is the good again era (laughs) that I would describe it as. Um... (laughs) Except for their new album, which is kind of whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'll like it more if I listen to it more. But uh, because I don't like Weezer's new album very much, I just wanted to draw attention to some Weezer deep cuts that I think are some of their best work ever. The first one is um, something that they put on their YouTube channel uh, right at the edge of their questionable years before they tipped into good <laughs> again, um, which is a cover of Brain Stew that they recorded in a studio and put on YouTube. Uh, the Green Day song, Brain Stew, uh, with just a piano, a drummer, and the vocalist singing the song. And it's, it's really cool. Yeah, it's like, no joke, one of the most creative and cool covers I've ever heard in my life. On my own, here we go. has the singer's name is Rivers. Rivers just in like a one piece like footy pajamas <laughs> singing the song <laughs> with um like I said just a piano and a drummer and nothing else playing this like pop punk grunge song. It's the coolest thing in the world. I'm gonna put a little bit of it here because it's just it's so like creative and out of left field. Yeah. The other song I want to talk about... Actually, I'll give that a clean take. Song's here. The other song that I would like to talk about I was clapped. (laughs) What? I was going to clap to, like, signal, but then you start talking, so we dodged a bullet there. Um, The other song I want to talk about is a B-side off of the White Album, 
which uh, came out in 2016, I believe, um, which is maybe my favorite album of theirs besides maybe one of their first two. Um, but there is a remix of one of the songs on the album in the deluxe edition. Um, the song is called Jacked Up, and <laughs> it's... Um, there's and a it's remix. better than it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> there's a remix by um, one of the guys from Fits and the Tantrums, uh, who you may know from I Can Make Your Hands Clap. Um, yep. That was not the right <laughs> amount of claps, one. but that's fine. Yes, it was. You can make your hands clap. Da, ba, 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 ba. That's what they do. No, it's ba, 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 ba. Like, I can make your hands clap. You're wrong. I'm going to put the song in the podcast now. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it's just like they take this Weezer song, and Weezer typically is a pretty straight-ahead rock band for the most part, unless they're, they're doing... They're a little I, poppy, but yeah. Right, well, unless they're doing I Can't Stop Partying. Um, <laughs> featuring Featuring Chameleon Air. <laughs> God, I can't believe that exists. Anyway, um, <laughs> there is... So, yeah, it's just... It's taking this sort of, like, slightly more electronic, slightly more, like, modern pop approach to what is a... It's still poppy, but still very much, like, bursted rock and roll song that is just great. And you can totally hear, like, the elements of Fits in the Tantrums sound in it. There's also oh, a yeah. singer in it who's not... Um, Who's not in either band? Uh, she's from a band called Pussy Riot. Um, I'm not super familiar with her, but she's very good in this song. Um, and yeah, just like all said and done, I think it's way better than the original version, and I think it's like a highlight of Weezer's whole discography, at least in my book. <laughs> so here's a little bit of the Jacked Up remix from the B side of the White Album. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty Great. much it. I think uh, I've said my piece about Weezer. I've made I've made my status known. Um, <laughs> you like Weezer. <laughs> yep. Um, I want to... Yeah, go ahead. Go finish. No, whatever. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about the Adventure Zone. Cause oh, I, okay. Well, because I wanted... I didn't want to talk just about the podcast, because we've been bouncing around about doing, like, the first arc with Anna and having that be an episode. Which I still super want to do, but uh, I just want to like touch upon. I talked about how good the storytelling was and how it's like what turned me on to D and D because it was like, oh, it's like actual storytelling. But it's also so good and great because it doesn't take itself seriously, and right. also takes itself very seriously. Like, I mean, I think the best example of that is one of the main characters is named Taco the Wizard, who is absolutely one of my <laughs> favorite characters. And, like, their name is fucking Taco, but it's, <laughs> it was just, like, Justin even talks about that, he was a statement. He was like, fantasy names are so bullshit, and they take themselves so seriously, I'm just gonna have a wizard whose name is Taco, right. and you're gonna learn to love it, and we <laughs> did. I just, like, it's not, I don't want to frame it as, like, a 
critique of Dungeons and Dragons because it's absolutely not, and that's absolutely not what they were trying to do. Right. But just like the way that they took this game and like totally made it their own, it was able to like tell their own story. I think is super cool. Like. I, I literally just said this for, like, Taco. is probably one of my favorite characters of all time. He's just, like, this super dumb wizard who just, like, <laughs> learns to care about other people, and he's super self-centered, and it's just such a funny dynamic because you have Merle, who's this cleric, who's just there, kind of. <laughs> right. Merle doesn't do anything for, like, the first arc. And then you have Magnus Burnsides, who's just super happy-go-lucky, like, super happy adventurer guy who's just there to help everybody. So, right. like, they have this really fun dynamic between these kind of, like, super different characters, and as they kind of, like, grow to be friends and through adventures. And so it's just really good. I can't stress how much I love the Adventure Zone and how much I think this graphic novel is just rad. Like, the right. art is so good and expresses the character so well. Ugh. So, hey, Adeline, anyway. do you want to... Actually, before we read some five-star reviews, I have, I have a question for you that I want that I want to, to bring up on the podcast. What? Um, do you think Baby Thanos should appear in all of our thumbnails from now on? No. Why I not? don't think it's funny enough. Explain yourself. It was funny the first time. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> okay, if you say so. Maybe I'll just put him in really small every once in a while. <laughs> just really, really tiny. Okay, so I've got um, a couple of different options for five-star reviews of Ralph Breaks the Internet. Um, what do you want to hear first, short, medium, or long? Long. Okay. <clears throat> this is a review from um, uh, Asmoomer... A-S-O-M-A-O-M-E-R is the name of this user. Um, she gives it five stars, and she says, We need to take a moment to appreciate the fact that turning the concepts of internet into three-dimensional space, heart emoji. <laughs> From my side, I guess the hidden message of this movie is, quote, feminism, unquote. And it appears what? clearly... And it appears clearly at Disney Princess scene, comma, oh my God. comma, when they try to tell us happily ever after, not a accomplished by marriage. <laughs> what? <laughs> that wasn't even, they didn't say that. We're that wasn't a yet. thing. <laughs> Second point, two commas again. <laughs> <laughs> two help more a, commas. <laughs> help a sister when you feel she's in danger. Like when Vanellope wants to call police when princesses Aurora and Belle talk about kidnapping while they smile in an insecure way. <laughs> Third, two more commas. Be natural, <laughs> be natural and yourself. And that's appear very clear when the princess changed their own gown to a comfy pajamas and natural hair with no makeup. They advise her uh. to find what she really wants and to sing about it. So what you find yourself into it your entire life is not necessarily to be your dreams. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. All right, I'm Jackson McMurray. And I'm Adeline McMurray. And this has been No Nerds Allowed. And there are no nerds allowed. <laughs> but that's just a theory. A neat theory. <laughs> I just can't get over that really long one where it's like, <laughs> it teaches young girls that you can't solve all your problems with marriage. But they don't even talk about that in the film. That's not, not, not as the princesses are like, you don't have to marry 
Fatima. <risos>